What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the Great Iron Authority podcast. I'm Keith Thornton, and with me, as always, is Mike Adams. Mike, what's on the agenda today? Hey, we're going to be talking about NFL news through the start of training camp. We're going to be discussing the New York Giants injury problems at wide receiver, the holdouts by Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, and we'll be discussing the notable position battles throughout the NFL all on today's episode. All right, let's get it. Speaking of news, in New York, the Giants wide receivers have suffered devastating injuries so far. Sterling Shepard has a broken thumb. He is out for what appears to be several weeks. Uh, Corey Coleman has torn an ACL out for the year. He was expected to take a lot of snaps at the slot receiver. And Golden Tate earlier was suspended for four games uh, pending appeal at the moment. So right now they are going through some tough times. Keith, what do you think about this? Yeah, it's really hard, especially when they're trying to develop a young quarterback like Daniel Jones. Um, obviously, I don't think Daniel Jones starts this year, so Eli Manning, I think, can handle this loss a little bit better than Daniel Jones can. And after reading the story, I really think Golden Tate's suspension is going to at least be reduced after his appeal. It sounds like it was a fertility drug he was taking, and as soon as he found out that it contained the substance that the NFL bans, he called the NFL offices and did all the right protocols. So I could see him maybe being down to two games, and I don't think it's going to be too bad for Eli Manning, I think it would be worse if Daniel Jones was starting. And it sounds like Sterling Shepard's going to be fine. And I think he'll be ready for week one. I, I agree with all of that. I, I think Golden Tate, based on what we've heard in the news so far, his suspension should be reduced. Sterling Shepard should be available uh, at the start of the season. The big one is Corey Coleman. He's been a bit of a bust throughout his career so far, but uh, he had been looking good in, in OTAs and he was looking to make an impact at that slot receiver. Uh, they're looking for all the weapons they can just to give Eli something to throw to and and stop the defenses from stacking the box uh, to stop Saquon. But at the, at the moment, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a rough season for the receivers in New York. The good thing is for fantasy owners, I think that actually helps Saquon Barkley. I think they're going to get a lot of catches out of the backfield. It also helps Evan Ingram. I think the tight end is going to be targeted a little bit more. I think they actually do have enough weapons around Eli to maybe absorb that loss. But as long as Golden Tate gets back in a reasonable amount of time and Sterling Shepard's ready to go, I think they'll be just fine. All right, now, speaking of the Giants, what are you thinking of Daniel Jones, all the news and the footage we're hearing out of there? You know, I've heard some good things. They said that he's got arm talent that's making throws that, that Eli wishes he could make. So I don't think it's a problem of whether the arm talent's there. I do think it's a good thing for him to sit behind Eli this year, but so far, so good. I mean, I don't know if it's worthy of the sixth pick, but we'll just wait and see on that one. I mean, I I think we can all agree with, with New Yorkers that Daniel Jones should not have been the sixth overall pick in the draft. Um, let's be... Let's be frank about that. I, I do believe he's getting a bit of harsh treatment. I mean, I think they're over-examining every single throw at the moment. I mean, you see on on ESPN and Fox News and all these different publications and networks and everything of every single time he throws an incompletion in practice, it's national news of why he's going to be a bust. And I feel bad for the kid there. I mean, I don't think he's sixth overall talent. Uh, I think Madden kind of shaded him a little bit by throwing him a 63 overall on the game. I mean, 
he definitely shouldn't be that either. Uh, I, I think he's one that time's going to tell on him. He definitely needs to, to sit um, as hard as it may be to give Eli another full season with how he's played the last couple of years. Daniel Jones has to sit down, but maybe in a year or two he could – you know, hopefully change uh, change New Yorkers' minds most importantly, but change the minds of everyone else as well. So, yeah, and I think that a lot of times they're they're looking at the fact that he was drafted when Dwayne Haskins was still there, and then for Giants fans to see Haskins go to a division rival, it's just hard for a hard pill for them to swallow. But I think if they just give it time, he'll he'll develop into a decent passer. Yeah, and I mean he he comes from that that Cutcliffe uh, quarterback school. Who's I mean he. He taught Peyton Manning, taught Eli Manning. He comes, you know, comes from Duke, which is a, a very hard school to get into. The kid's a smart kid. Uh, I think he's gonna. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think this news is gonna make him work harder. I think it's gonna make him want to prove everyone wrong. He's just not ready to do it talent wise at this point uh, in his career. So he he definitely definitely needs to sit down. And uh, I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. I guess. So speaking of Dwayne Haskins. Word out of Redskins camp is that he's doing really well so far. Um, granted, I think Colt McCoy is out with an injury right now, still working that working back from that knee injury. So it's really him and Case Keenum. But uh, what what role do you think Dwayne Haskins plays in the Redskins offense this year? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to say at the moment. Uh, I, I'm hearing good things out of camp for him, but uh, I mean, with three quarterbacks there. Uh, Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy is back from the injury, I, as far as I could tell, in at least a limited role. But uh, you have to, you know, a lot of people are ruling him out. But what you have to think about is he's got five years in that offense, uh, in that Jay Gruden offense. So he, uh, you know, he's he's a step ahead of both of those guys right now. I'm not ru- I'm not saying he's going to be the starter, and he's still he's still a long shot, honestly, to become the starter. But it's something to factor in. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, you know, Daniel Snyder just loves the kid. He's going to want to get him out on the field. Uh, he's got connections to the Redskins dating back years, dating back to high school. Uh, Case Keenum, he's going to give you the most stability. But honestly, I, I kind of see Case Keenum as as trade bait once the season starts or or maybe toward the end of tra- uh, preseason. Uh, if, they, if they decide that Dwayne Haskins or Colt McCoy is going to be their guy, Case Keenum's not going to make it there. Uh, it, it's just not going to happen. They're going to try and get something out of them. Someone's backup quarterback is going to go down. Someone's starting quarterback is going to go down, and and uh, they'll be able to get a pretty decent little draft pick or maybe a player out of them or maybe even a draft pick and a player out of them. So I'd say Dwayne Haskins is the favorite going into it with uh, Colt McCoy as the backup and Case Keenum as the trade bait is my thought. Yeah, and I think the one thing that people keep forgetting about Dwayne Haskins is he actually has only one year of college experience as a starter. So I definitely don't think you want to throw him in week one. I think Case Keenum starts the season, but I think kind of like the Drew Locke situation in Denver, I think Case Keenum is going to be on a short leash. So if he starts to struggle, it would not surprise me to see him in there. For the start of the season, it's going to be Case Keenum. And I also heard coming out of Redskins camp that Jay Gruden this year is putting a strong emphasis on running the football more than they have before. So I know the Redskins go really deep on running back. So who do you think comes out of there? I know they got AP, they've got Darius Geis, they've got P. Ryan, they've got a couple other guys on that running back depth chart. So who who takes over that backfield for you? Uh, well, I mean, I think uh... – Chris Thompson, I think, is is going to be safe. I think he's going to be the third down back without any question. 
better better hands, better route running than uh, than Geis and uh, Adrian Peterson. I think the dark horse, depending on how he comes back from the injury, is going to be Bryce Love. You're talking about a Heisman finalist just a couple years ago uh, out of Stanford. Was having a great season last year till he uh, tore his ACL in December. Uh, I think P. Ryan. I, I don't think he's going to make the team. Uh, he's not a particularly great special teams player. And when you got neither is Adrian Peterson or Geis um, or Thompson or Love, really. So you can't really afford to keep five guys on your on your team when none of them are really going to play special teams. So I think P. Ryan is out. Bryce Love, I think, is the dark horse. I could see Adrian Peterson eventually being cut potentially as a salary cap issue but or a casualty. Uh, Darius Geis is the guy that they're going to want to get the reps. He was their second round pick last year. He's got a lot of potential. He is coming off an ACL injury, but it was early. It was first preseason game of last year. So he should be fully recovered, ready to go. And I think if he shows any sort of stability, if he shows any sort of uh, flashes, uh, I think it's going to be Geis, uh, Thompson. And then when Bryce Love comes back, Bryce Love's going to be worked into the fold a little bit. So uh, P Ryan, I think is definitely out. And I think Adrian Peterson's on the fence. Yeah. I'm with you on the guy's train. I, I've heard some great things coming out of training camp on him. I do think they keep Adrian Peterson, but I don't know for how long. I think it depends on if he comes in and hits the ground run and starts putting out hundred yard rushing games. I think they keep rolling with Adrian Peterson working guys in, but if he comes in and is getting 40, 50 yards a game, I think that the splits are going to be probably 60, 40. And if if Peterson struggles and Geist takes over, I think it's going to be Adrian Peterson getting cut at the trade deadline or traded. Yeah, I mean, I see kind of a situation uh, like in New Orleans a couple years ago with Adrian Peterson, where I think if there's any sort of sign that he may not play a lot, even at the beginning of the season, I think he's going to either ask to be outright released so he can go sign with a, another team that's going to give him a better opportunity um, or he may ask to be traded, um, or they may just say, we don't want that. We don't want a potential headache. You know, we have one of the greatest running backs of all time as a potential, you know, third option and, uh, which could, you know, that could draw unwanted headaches, um, with that team. I think, like I said, I think Geitz has it, um, barring any injury setback. I think Chris Thompson, he's too good on third down to not play him on third downs. And uh, and when Bryce Love comes back, they're going to want to get him a lot of a lot of touches. You're talking about a guy that was before the injury. He was a first round grade, first round talent in the draft. Before that, he was expected to go in the first round last year had he entered the draft. So, I mean, you you have a two potential young stud running backs that are coming both coming back from ACL injuries. And once they're they're healthy and they're ready to go, they're going to want to work those guys in because you got a little bit of thunder and lightning there with those guys. So. Um, I mean, you you got to go with the youth at this point at that position. The one thing I think you can take away from this is no matter who gets the nod at running back, I think you're going to see a slight fantasy bump on anyone because of the way Jay Gruden's going to run that offense with the emphasis on the run. Speaking of running backs, we've got an issue with holdouts over in San Diego and in Dallas. What do you think on those? Uh, as a Cowboys fan at the moment, I'm not super worried about the Z cold out. I know Jerry's kind of, you know, question his commitment a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. At the end of the day, he's, he's super young. He's going to get his money. 
uh, you're, you know, you're not talking about a late twenties running back asking for a five-year contract. You're talking about a guy that's 24 years old, 25 years old, um, that still has at least barring any injury still has at least five good years. So them giving him his money, his contract extension shouldn't be an issue. I, the only issue I have with it is it is a little bit early to be asking for it. He's still got two years left on his rookie deal. Um, I'd like to see him play one more before he gets the contract, but I get it from from a, a safety precaution. I, I know he wants to get his money. He wants to get paid. Uh, he deserves the money. Uh, I mean, he's been the most consistent back top to bottom in, you know, in the NFL the last three years. Melvin Gordon, I'm, I'm a little torn on. I love Melvin Gordon. I think he's great back. But I think some of the money he's asking for for his age and his wear and tear and the little bit of injury issues he's had throughout his career, he, he probably needs lower expectations. And with that depth that the Chargers have, you know, I, I they're not in any hurry to to overpay Melvin Gordon. And uh, I could definitely see that one going into the season. The thing that bothers me the most with these running backs is the fact that they're holding out on rookie contracts. The NFL Players Association, during the last CBA, agreed to the structuring of rookie contracts. So it's not like they got slighted on their first contracts. To me, we have to get to a point where if you're agreeing to a contract as a rookie, you have to just play it out. I get that they are going to deserve more and maybe start working a little bit early, but to hold out on a rookie contract makes no sense to me. And that's one of the things that bothers me the most. I mean, I could see if this was their second contract and they feel like something was wrong in their contract and they're holding out. But to be holding out on rookie contracts that are structured from the beginning just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, I I do agree with that uh, to an extent. Um, Like I said, if it's the last year of the contract, I mean, we're – Look over at Michael Thomas in New Orleans. He's going going into the last year of his his rookie contract, and uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that the last few years has been one of the five best receivers in football. Is slotted to make 1.1 million. So, I I get why he uh, he's wanting to get paid. Um, he deserves to get paid. Uh, I do have an issue with Zeke asking for it two years early. Um, that I have an issue with. If you sign the contract and you, you know, you say, I'll be here for this amount of time, you should at least be there for a majority of that time. It's, you know, I don't want to see some of the the issues in the NBA that they've had with guys signing a contract and then the next year demanding to be traded and, and, or demanding, you know, another guy got more money. So now they want more money. Um, I don't want it to come to that. Um, as, as exciting as that can be in the NBA, uh, that could be a bad thing in the NFL. Um, so I, I believe, uh, you know, wait one more year, get the money, but at the same time, if, if, if the Cowboys got to pay him, they got to pay him. I mean, it's an unfortunate situation, but, uh, I mean, Zeke, Zeke deserves the money. Melvin Gordon deserves some money, deserves to be make more than what he is making, but he doesn't, you know, I don't know if I pay in top five money, honestly. Well, my biggest complaint about the whole thing too, is if you're, and this is one thing for as many people say that I don't like Kirk Cousins. I respect the fact that when he wanted a contract and they kept franchise tagging him, I think that they did him wrong. The Redskins did, but he went out and earned that massive contract. When you look at guys like Le'Veon Bell and these other guys that are sitting out, holding out, they're not doing anything in my mind to help. Because what happens when Ezekiel Elliott holds out and the backup running back comes in and plays well? Does that mean that Ezekiel Elliott's not worth that much? Same thing with Melvin Gordon. Fawson Eckler comes in and plays well, and they don't miss Melvin Gordon. 
does that lower Melvin Gordon's value? Wouldn't he be better off going out there, playing, having a hell of a season, and getting that big contract because he earns it? And to me, that especially on a rookie contract, you're as a rookie, you're still proving yourself. And especially Melvin Gordon's been injured a couple times. It's like you have to go out and earn that contract. And it just drives me nuts to see these players basically saying, you can't win without me and trying basically holding the team hostage. And I like what Phillip Rivers kind of did. A lot of people are torn whether it was really a slight or not. I think it was a little bit of a backhanded compliment thing going on where he said, hey, we're talking about the guys who are here. We, we're deep at running back. We're good to go. So I, I just find it crazy that they are trying to hold their teams hostage to get money on their rookie contracts. Yeah, and I, and I have an issue with that. Um, I mean, you, I mean, with them holding them hostage. I mean, you you can't come out and say I'm a good teammate and yet not show up for for training camp or threaten to hold out games. Or in Le'Veon Bell's case, you know, he wanted more money, so he held out an entire season. He lost an entire season of money, and then he got less money with his uh, deal with the jets and he would have got anyway. So it's like he, to me, I mean, if you, if you love the game, you, you, you sign your contract, you make your money. Uh, you're, you know, most of these guys make more money in endorsements anyways, or at least somewhat equal to. So you want to, I mean, I, 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 I do have an issue with that. I mean, as, as a teammate, I want to know that my guy is going to be there and they're not going to worry about, you know, I'm the top paid running back. And then when someone gets more money than them, they want to hold out and they want more money. You know, um, at the end of the day, it hurts the team. It hurts the player perception, hurts the team perception. It's uh, I understand it's a business and everyone's everyone's here to make some money. But I mean, take what you're given and and take what you can get, but don't try and squeeze even more out of it. I mean, if you're a 15 million a year running back, take your 15 million. Don't try and get your 18 million. Don't try and get quarterback money. Um, you know, take what's what what's given to you at your position. You know, so especially at the running back position this year, and I think into the future, I think it's become less and less important to have a just a solid RB one that's a three down back. When you could come in there, and if you look at the Chiefs last year, they had Kareem Hunt, who was that three down back. He goes out. Damian Williams comes in. A couple other guys, Charkandrick West, come in, and they can manage. If you look at Le'Veon Bell leaves, James Conner comes in, they can manage. If you're a quarterback, I feel like you got a little bit more leverage because a quarterback being gone is a whole lot different than a running back being gone. I think you can replace a running back with three or four different guys. I know Melvin Gordon came out and said, there are some of us that are rare and that you can't replace guys like us. But I think that's to be seen. And if I'm a GM and Melvin Gordon doesn't show up for the start of the regular season and my group of running backs behind are doing good, I'm not going to pay the guy. There's no way I'm going to let him hold my team hostage, especially when we're still winning football games and doing just fine without him. So I think it's a huge gamble on the player part too. That's why I think if Melvin Gordon showed up and he rushed for 1,700 yards, had a, a just a fantastic season, I think that they'd be whipping that checkbook out so fast he'd get whatever he wanted. I think this does nothing but hurt them, and it shows that they're putting themselves above the team. All right, let's get back to some quarterback position battles. How's the Miami quarterback situation looking? Uh, I mean, from what we're hearing so far, it seems like throughout the offseason and the early part of uh, training camp, it seems like Ryan Fitzpatrick is is pretty thoroughly outplaying Josh Rosen. It seems to to give Fitzpatrick the edge to be the starter, at least at the beginning of the season. But 
I'll give you my thoughts on why I think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, it's the wrong choice, wrong decision. Uh, and it'd be a mistake in terms of, of evaluating Josh Rosen and, and evaluating where your franchise is at the, at the time, you know, at this time heading into next year where you're hoping to have a high draft pick and, and uh, there's going to be some great quarterbacks. So you need to figure out what's going on with Rosen. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's a journeyman quarterback. Yeah. He can give you some great games. He'll give you some phenomenal games, honestly. But the fact is, is, you know, he's going to play two out of five games are going to be great. The other three are going to be terrible. Um, he's a, he's a, a average to maybe slightly above average quarterback on his best days. Uh, he, I mean, he gives you more stability than Josh Rosen, but in terms of developing this team, it's going to, I think it's going to hurt Josh Rosen's confidence heading into the season. If, if he believes he didn't earn the job, if he believes he was given it just to be evaluated, you know, he already goes in with, with a psychological disadvantage. I think you need to go in there. I think you need to make him believe he earned that position. He beat a veteran quarterback and, and that team is his team, at least for this season and see how he plays. See, you know, put him in some situations, uh, see if he can succeed. And I mean, if, if midway through the season or late in the season, you know, you're a one or two, three win team and he's been struggling, maybe pit, put Fitzpatrick in just to, to finish off the season, but to start the season and for the majority of the season, it has to be Josh Rosen. And you know, over years past, Ryan Fitzpatrick has not helped himself in these quarterback battles. He always starts out so good and makes people think, you know, this time might be the time where he really takes off as a franchise quarterback. And then he'll have two or three games in a row where he's throwing three and four interceptions. I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick starts the year, and I imagine he probably will do well for the first maybe three games. And then there'll be that time when he starts to do terrible. And the thing that I always talk about with new head coaches and actually just any head coach in general, when you start flipping back and forth between quarterbacks, you're going to get fired that year. It happens almost every time. Pick one, stick with it. I could see maybe making one switch if Fitzpatrick is struggling like by week eight, put Rosen in, but then you have to just go with him for the rest of the year. I hate it when they flip back and forth. It doesn't allow any quarterback to really get in a groove. But, it, you know, honestly, Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't made this easy because he does this about every single year. Starts good. I remember a year one time listening to him against the Chiefs where he threw six interceptions in a game. So he, he doesn't help himself, but I just think you got to kind of pick one and run with it. Yeah, and, and and that's what I that's what I, I believe Fitzpatrick's going to start the season. I just think that's a mistake. Uh, I mean, if you remember watching Rosen in college at UCLA, his post draft or his yeah, his post draft interview last year after he got passed over by a few teams that were looking for quarterbacks. I mean, all quarterbacks are are egotistical. Josh Rosen, I think, is on a higher level. I mean, he's he's all about the ego. I think he needs that you know proverbially stroked a little bit. I, I think he's pretty fragile in that that area. So I believe if he belie- if he thinks the job is just given to him be- just because, uh, I, like I said, I think he he's going to crack a little bit under that. I think he needs to believe that he went out and played better than Fitzpatrick, that he went out and he earned the job, that the coaches want him as the starter, that he's not just being evaluated. He needs to, you know, he needs to have that 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 mojo. He needs to get that mojo, um, essentially. And uh, I, I mean, honestly, it's it, it's going to make for a rough season, I believe, um, especially early on. But Josh Rosen needs to be the starting quarterback week one, and it needs to go for a majority of the season, barring injury. 
So let me ask you this. Do you think Josh Rosen is their quarterback of the future? Or do you think that they take a Tua in the next draft? Um, I mean, I think unf- I think he could be, but I don't think he's going to be given the opportunity to be. I think he they're going to give him this year. He's going to struggle this year. They don't have a lot of wide receiver depth uh, down there. They do have some solid running backs. I do like uh, Drake down there, but um i mean i believe he's going to come out he's probably going to struggle um it's a new offense a new a new city new offense new coordinators um new teammates uh so i believe he's going to struggle i believe he could be the quarterback of the future but i I believe if the dolphins have the first or second pick next year they are definitely going to look to 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 draft either justin herbert out of oregon or a tua out of uh out of Alabama, you know, bar uh, that, I mean, that's the, those are the top two heading into the season at the moment. There's always some of that springboards up there a little bit, but, uh, but I, I mean, if they're one or two, they're going to have to take one of those guys. Uh, no question about it, but I, I believe Josh Rosen could be a franchise quarterback, but unfortunately I just don't think he's going to get the time he needs to develop into that. At least not in Miami. I would not be surprised to see him be a, a, a draft day trade again next year. And that's one of the toughest things about being an NFL GM. I mean, you've got a guy that you traded for because you try to tell people you're in a win-now mode. Everyone thought that the Dolphins are in tank for Tua mode, and they may be. But now if they – I think everyone can kind of agree they're going to be towards the bottom of the league. So they're going to be going for that first draft pick. And if they have it, there's going to be so much fan pressure to draft that quarterback in the future. I don't know that it's going to leave them a lot of choice. And it might bring up that you know, why did they trade for Rosen in the first place? And I'm I'm hoping that they either give him a chance because they traded for him, or they just flat out, you know, say it. We want this quarterback as soon as the season's over. You know, when you got that first pick, you can get a lot of good players there that aren't the quarterback. But will the fans allow that to happen? And that's where it's tough being an NFL GM. I honestly believe they finish last. They draft Tua, and either they get rid of Rosen on draft day or they cut him? Uh, I mean, I, I believe uh, the it's, it's a lose lose to me personally. I believe the only way that they can come out of this thing on top uh, is if they get the number one pick or they get the number two pick and they, you know, they trade, I think trading the pick is the only thing that they can really do that. That could be a win for this team because if they, if they draft to or they draft Herbert out of Oregon, uh, I mean, then you're just basically admitting you made a mistake with Josh Rosen. You gave up a second round pick and I believe there was something else attached to it. I can't think at the moment, but, um, you're basically saying that was a mistake of a, of a, of a trade. We're giving up on this guy right now. Uh, that's going to already decrease his trade value being traded twice in, in two years. I mean, you're not going to get what you got, you know, what you gave out, you know, out of him. So, um, I believe if they have the first or second pick, the smart move, would be to trade that pick. Um, if you believe that, if you believe Josh Rosen could be a quarterback, you know, your quarterback, I believe you trade that pick, gain some extra picks, maybe gain a player or two, build some depth on that team, get some offensive linemen, get a running back, get some receivers, do something. But if he's not your guy, you you have to go Tua, you have to go Herbert, um, or you have to go, uh, you know, like I said, there's always a guy that springboards up there, you know, looking at Daniel Jones this last year. Um, guys like that. There's always someone that springboards up there and it'll probably happen again this year. So, uh, but one of those guys has to, has to be your quarterback. If Josh Rosen isn't. 
All right. Now we're going to move to the Bills in this division and look at their running back battle. Um, they've got Shady McCoy. They've drafted some guys. Do you think LaShawn McCoy's on this team week one? Uh, I believe if they can find a trade partner, he's gone. Uh, I think his he's run his course there. I, I think if they have to, they'll keep him rather than take the cap hit. But uh, if they can if they can find a trade partner, he's gone. I think I think they would feel more comfortable with Frank Gore and T.J. Yeldon as their two running backs, uh, and then having uh, Devin Singletary, their third round pick this year out of uh, Florida Atlantic, uh, as their their developmental back, their back of the future. We you know we can say. I, th- I think they'd be more comfortable with that uh, because they know Frank Gore's probably going to be gone next year. Uh, TJ Yeldon, they didn't spend a lot of money on um, and they could potentially still get a little bit out of LaShawn McCoy. I think he could still be a, an effective back in that, that contender that is, is uh, maybe a running back shy or a little shy on running back depth um, may look to trade for him to put him over the, you know, put him over the hump a little bit, but uh I mean, if they can't find a trade partner, he's going to be on the team. If they can, he's gone. Yeah, I did probably 10 mock drafts this week for fantasy, and you can get LaShawn McCoy so late in drafts because of the big question marks surrounding this team. So let me ask you this question. If you think he gets traded or cut or whatever it is, do you spend a draft pick on him? Do you think he's going to be productive no matter where he's at this year? Or do you have a huge question mark on him because of this situation? Uh, for talking fantasy, I, I would not draft him before. I mean, I, I'd make sure you have at least two good running backs before you even consider taking LaShawn McCoy. He's going to be up the boards because of what he's done in his career. Um, he's going to look like he's a, a solid draft pick. Uh, you know, when you're in that sixth, seventh round and LaShawn McCoy is still sitting there, you're going to think you're getting a steal. Um, but that could be something that really sets your team behind a little bit. Um, I think if he's still there around 10, 11, 12, maybe at that point, you know, maybe take a shot on him because you're likely drafting a running back three, um, or even a running back four in some cases at that point. So you're not risking a whole lot if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, you just got to steal, but, uh, don't, don't take him early. And all we can really say on this and we can't emphasize this enough is pay attention to this battle because if an injury pops up in training camp um, and a team trades for LaShawn McCoy, his draft stock could fly off the charts. Or if he gets picked up by a team like the saints who already have some depth there and they already have a starter, his fantasy value could tank. So depending on when your fantasy draft is like Mike said, either take him late or monitor the situation. If you're after our draft is usually after week three of the preseason. So after week three, if he's still on the bills, you know, that, at that point you got to make a difficult decision, but hopefully before then we'll know where he's going to end up and whether he's worth the draft pick. So how do you see the carries being split? Let's say LaShawn McCoy's on the team and you've got Frank Gore and you've got the new Singletary and TJ Yeldon. Who, who gets the most carries there? Uh, Frank Gore is still going to get the most carries. I mean, the guy's been in the league forever, but he could still be that that workhorse type back. Um, he could still give you 15 carries a game with no issues. I do believe it's going to be more of a uh, maybe a 50-30-20 split, I believe. You know, maybe Frank Gore getting half the carries. Uh, Yeldon, you know, getting a, a good chunk. You know, we're talking, you know, 8 to 12 carries a game. 
And uh, I believe Singletary could come in, get five, six, you know, touches a game just to get him some development, um, get him some reps, and see how he does with uh, with those reps. Um, but I believe it'd go Frank Gore one, Yeldon two, Singletary three, and that's assuming LaShawn McCoy gets traded. Yeah, so my opinion on this, just straight up, don't draft anybody in fantasy from the Bills running backs. <laughs> I think no matter who's there, I think it's splits are going to be so – uh, spread that none of them are RB ones. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, maybe, maybe around week three and four. Um, if you, if, if all those guys are still available, um, by week three and four, you could start, you know, you'll start seeing that pattern kind of settle in and you can, you'll have a little more data to go off of, um, to decide like, okay, Hey, Frank Gore has been, the the main guy for three weeks, you know, in a row, and he's still out on the the waiver wire over here. So are free agents, and uh, you know, maybe at that point you could take him and just kind of stash him because he could be a good bye week running back, um, or TJ Yeldon or Singletary, whoever it is. But uh, I would be very cautious around the Bills' uh, running back situation in terms of fantasy, in terms of an actual team help you know i think they're going to have a lot of depth at running back i think that's going to be a strength of their team this year um i mean when you have when you have that many running backs and running back is an issue about who's going to get the you know the carries um i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily especially when you have a young quarterback and you got a couple new receivers so you're really wanting to to get that offense moving um i don't think that's going to be a bad issue in terms of on the field but in terms of fantasy stay away from them and guys, just keep tuning in because we're going to stay on top of this for you. We'll give you our analysis of what's going on with the court, with the position battles, any of these position battles, really, and the holdout situations. And we'll hopefully get you guys some information that will help you make these fantasy decisions. All right, and let's keep it going with running back position battles. Up in Seattle, you've got Chris Carson, who's coming off a knee injury. You've got Rashad Penny, who was a rookie last year that seriously underperformed. Uh, if you listen to the last episode when we were talking about that division, uh, he had the least amount of carries for a first-round pick running back in the history of the NFL. So does he bounce back this year? Mike Davis was on the team last year. He's off to Chicago. How do you see that workload getting split between Carson and Penny? I think Chris Carson's got to be your number one running back, at least to start the season. Uh, you're talking about a guy that ran for over 1,100 yards last year, had nine touchdowns. Uh, had an average of 4.7 yards. Uh, I mean, the the guy is is a monster. Um, he he's got great potential. Uh, so I think to start the season, he's he's got to be your guy. Um, Rashad Penny, uh, he did have a disappointing season based on where he got drafted. But if you look at his stats, I mean, he had over 400 yards. He had a couple touchdowns, and his average was almost was just shy of five yards per carry. Uh, it was at 4.9. So I think he's a guy, if you can get him the touches, he's going to give you the results you need and the results you want, um, especially out of a first-round pick. Um, but it's going to be hard to unseat uh, Chris Carson at this point. Yeah, I see it coming in as like a 60-40 split, probably 60 for Chris Carson at first. I think if the knee injury lingers a little bit and it slows him down a tad, it could flip, and you can see a 60-40 split in the favor of Rashad Penny. And I think if that happens, what ends up happening, if Rashad Penny can make the most of his touches, he could end up taking over that number one spot. Um, when we're talking about fantasy values, much like Buffalo, this one's one to monitor because if they're splitting it right down the middle, 
it's luckily they run the football a lot, especially with Doug Baldwin being gone. But you're looking at shared carries again in the backfield. So no real true RB one. What do you think their fantasy values are looking like? I mean, I think Chris Carson's a fairly safe pick. Uh, probably not first few rounds, but uh, or at least first couple, maybe that third round, fourth round. Um, I mean, I, I think by the time if Rashad Penny unseats him, I think it's going to be later in the season, um, if at all. Um, so I think he's a fairly safe pick. I think uh, Rashad Penny's one to keep an eye on. If you if you start noticing he's getting more and more touches a game, um, you know maybe look for him on the on the free agent list or the waiver wire um, as someone that you could potentially stash for late in the season if he does overtake Chris Carson. But I, I think Chris Carson's a, 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 a somewhat safe pick as a RB2 option. May, maybe a late like RB1 um, if the preseason goes really well for him and Penny struggles in the preseason, then maybe maybe look for him to be a, a running back one. But, uh, but, I mean, I think he's a pretty safe pick. Penny probably don't draft him. Uh, yeah, I'd say probably don't draft him. Maybe look for him on the free agents or the waiver wire later in the season. You know, the surprising stat is I, I did 10 fantasy mock drafts the other day. Both these guys were actually going in the top half of the draft. So we're talking in in 16-player leagues. You're you're talking in the top eight. These guys were going. So, And this is why our, pre, or our fantasy draft is done after the third week of preseason because right now it's such a question mark. You know, is Kirk Carson's knee fine? If it's fine, then Rashad Penny may not see the field barely at all. Um, are they going to feel pressured because of that first round pick status on Rashad Penny to give him more carries? I think further into the preseason, if you keep an eye on this battle, it's going to get tight and hopefully we get an answer of which one's going to get the bulk of the carries before most of these fantasy drafts happen. Yeah. And I, and I'm basing all my stuff off of Chris Carson being, being healthy. I mean, if, if you've got a guy that can give you, four, you know, 1200 yards, and potential double-digit touchdowns. Uh, I mean, there's not much of a need to get that that second running back on the field. However, if he is still hurt or he's got a lingering uh, issue um, with that injury or he's just struggling, I mean, I'd look for Rashad Penny. But, I mean, to me, no way would I – you know, if, if Chris Carson's healthy, there's no way that Rashad Penny uh, deserves any significant uh, uh, draft notice, honestly. All right, let's keep it in the NFC West and go down to San Francisco in their running back battle. Um, they've got Jarek McKinnon. Uh, who do you see taking that backfield this year? Uh, I mean, I'm looking I'm looking at Tevin Coleman. I mean, he's a guy. He's been uh, a backup, essentially backup. I know he played a lot down in Atlanta, but he's essentially been the backup to Devontae Freeman. I don't believe he came to San Francisco to be another to be a backup again, another guy's backup. Um, they do have Matt Breda, who had a he had a solid season last year, averaged over five yards a carry, ran for over 800 yards, had a few touchdowns thrown in there. Um, Jarek McKinnon, I, I don't think he's a real factor for the starting position, to be completely honest. He's coming off an ACL injury last year, uh, happened in September. So it's coming up on, you know, about 11 months ago, 10, 11 months ago. Um, I don't think he's going to be a factor, really. Maybe, maybe for some third down snaps, third down reps. But I think Tevin Coleman's going to take it. I think Matt Breda is going to be a a great backup. But uh, uh, Jarek uh, Jarek McKinnon, I'm not really looking uh, too much into at the moment. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit closer than than what a lot of people give it credit for. I think McKinnon's going to 
hopefully show up and put some stats on the board. I think when you're looking at a lot of these battles, like this one and the one we're talking about, Seattle, Washington, a lot of these people are planning on splitting carries. I don't think they're really looking for one guy to come out and dominate. So it really boils down to what's the split going to be. And I feel like this one, too, is probably going to be a 60-40 split. You're going to have Coleman with the 60, Jarek McKinnon with the 40. I think they're going to run the football a little bit to get Jimmy Garoppolo back in the groove. So I actually like Tevin Coleman in fantasy, and I think Jarek McKinnon's going as a good late-round pick. Uh, definitely a good handcuff because any of these battles, if you get in the late rounds and and one of the, the second guy on the depth charts available, grab him as a handcuff in case one of them goes down because in all of these battles, if, if the RB1 goes down, your other guy turns into a three-down back. So I think you got to keep an eye on it, but it might be a good idea to draft them both. And then, like I said, don't don't forget about uh, about Matt Breda there. He's the uh, the returning starter at the moment. However, he was Jared McKinnon's backup going into next year. But I think with how he performed this past season, I think he's earned the right as at least the number two running back um, behind Tevin Coleman. I, I'd like to see Jerick McKinnon get some third down reps. I think he uh, he can be a solid third down back. But I'm just I think Tevin Coleman number one back. Braden number two and McKinnon maybe a, a, a third down. All right. Speaking of position battles, we're going to go over to the NFC North and one of the most important position battles, Bears kicker. Do they have somebody who can make a field goal? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> they brought in eight kickers earlier in the offseason. Only two out of the eight could make that 43-yard field goal that uh, they infamously missed last year to lose to the Eagles. I think it's going to be another rough season for them. I don't think they uh, should uh, consider that a strength on their team. So what you're saying is they probably miss Robbie Gold. Yeah, they definitely miss. Uh, they definitely miss Gold. Um, I'd say I'd I'd be telling Trubisky and Khalil Mack, uh, don't let it come down to a field goal. Yeah, and honestly, I see them picking up a free agent kicker at the end of the preseason. So you're probably going to get a veteran coming in and kicking for them, and hopefully they can get that figured out this year. Yeah, I uh, whoever wins this battle, I would be surprised if he's still the kicker come the end of the season and if they make the playoffs heading into the playoffs, I would not be I would not be surprised to see uh a different kicker there um at some point this season uh uh like I said definitely not a strength of the team and uh as we saw last year if you're if you don't have a good kicker, you don't have confidence in your kicker, you're going to lose to the Eagles. Yeah, that ought to be a battle that's uh, not that interesting to watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Hall of Fame. That's the next big uh, event coming up in the NFL. The class of 2019 is Champ Bailey, Pat Bolin, Gil Brandt, Tony Gonzalez, Ty Law, Kevin Mawai, Ed Reed, and the Chiefs' Johnny Robinson. The interesting thing for me here is Gil Brandt's getting in and Jerry Jones is presenting for him. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I think it's a little bit ironic because Gil Brandt was uh, basically ousted once uh, Jerry Jones bought the team back in 88. Um, Gil Brandt was the uh, the vice president of player personnel for the Cowboys for 28 seasons, helped, uh, helped build two Super Bowl teams with them, um, two Super Bowl championship teams with uh, Tom Landry and some of the other great coaches and personnel they had there. 
Um, so I do think it's a it's a bit ironic. I, I mean, I don't think it's it's a, a bitter relationship or anything like that, obviously, with him presenting. But uh, I do think it is a little bit funny that uh, he's presenting someone into the Hall of Fame that he didn't think was quite good enough to uh, run his team once he bought him. So um, I do see a little bit of irony there. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about Tony Gonzalez getting in. It's kind of bittersweet as a Chiefs fan. I feel like he kind of wavered and favored the Falcons more than he favored the Chiefs, but it's still sweet to see him get in. I've got a lot of good memories of Tony Gonzalez. Um, it's kind of my childhood growing up watching him, so I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty excited about Johnny Robinson getting in for the Chiefs. Um, I like to see Ed Reed in there. I know he was one of the players you liked. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, of all the of all the players on the list, I think Ed Reed was was the best at what he did. Um, I mean, some of the guys, I mean, you could you could put a lot of these guys uh, in the conversation uh, as the best at, at their position, and I think Tony Gonzalez probably is the best tight end to to ever play the game, honestly. But I think Ed Reed, just what he meant to that Baltimore defense, um, I'm, I I don't think. Uh, can can even be stated properly uh i mean he's a guy that that changed the position he he could stop the run he could stop the pass uh i mean he was a leader vocally on that team uh always did what was best for the team uh put himself in position he was a a student of the game i mean he and he and ray lewis together uh, i mean you're talking about the the two best guys that that ever played those positions so I mean, Ed Reed, it is, it's fantastic to see him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Tony Gonzalez, like I said, the same, same thing. I, I, um, I think with some of these, uh, some of the, the tight ends lately with the receiving stats going up on tight ends, I think people kind of forget just how great Tony Gonzalez was. Uh, I mean, he was doing things when he was playing that no one was doing, um, even the other great tight ends. And you're talking Shannon Sharp or Jason Witten, guys like that, Antonio Gates. Tony Gonzalez was still better than all of them. So it's good to see him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I do agree with the the Chiefs Falcon thing. I think he's he's kind of favored the Falcons in, in retirement a little bit, but uh, he'll always be a Chief. And we've also got the late, great Pat Bolin, uh, the Broncos owner, going in. I think that's pretty sweet to see. I, I think he's done a lot for the league, and he's really, really left that, that franchise in good shape. So uh, it ought to be a touching tribute to him. Yeah, and I mean you're you're talking about a guy that I mean his family bought the team in in 1984. I mean in that time period they've won three Super Bowls in in two different centuries essentially. Um, had some of the greatest players of all time play for him. Uh, when you look back at you know those uh, late 90s teams with Elway and at uh, sorry Elway and and Rod Smith and McCaffrey and Terrell Davis and then. You know, being able to bring over uh, guys like Peyton Manning, but still assembling, you know, Demarius Thomas and Von Miller through the draft. Uh, I mean, it really shows what what type of eye he had for talent, um, uh, drafting and and uh, free agency. So uh, and then some of the personnel he's had over the years. So um, I think it'll be an emotional night uh, for Broncos fans and for the NFL to see him inducted. Yeah, and staying on the Broncos train there, um, Champ Bailey's getting in. That's good to see as a Redskin and a and a Bronco. He was a good player. Um, that ought to be exciting to see. Ty Law is getting in. That's another another great one. Um, I remember being so excited when the Chiefs got Ty Law for a little bit. Um, he never was quite as good as he was with the Patriots, but I loved him nonetheless. 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about a. I mean, for for his his uh, era, I mean, you're talking about one of the five best cornerbacks to play the game. I mean, the guy just terrorized Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning would probably have another at least one or two more Super Bowl rings had it not been for Ty Law. To be completely honest, uh, I mean, f- phenomenal instincts. Uh, he had good speed. Uh, uh, I mean, just didn't really have a ton of weaknesses, honestly. Um, and he, I mean, just, just great cornerback, great player. Yeah. And then back to the Johnny Robinson for the chiefs is going in as the oldest to get in uh, for a player, at least, uh, played back in the seventies. So it's good to see. I'm, I'm excited to see more chiefs history cemented in the hall of fame. Yeah, and, and Johnny Robinson, I think uh, you're talking about a guy that made the the all AFL team, um, the all time AFL team. Really, I mean, you look at a, a lot of his accomplishments; they're not the most impressive. Um, but I think that is also due to playing part of his career in the AFL and part of his career in the NFL. Um, so, I mean, when you're looking at Pro Bowl um, appearances and all Pro teams, you can't really measure that against some of the other the other guys at his position, but. What you got to look at is, 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 you know, the big stats, his interceptions. The guy had 57 career interceptions um, over, I think, an 11-year career. So, I mean, you're you're talking about, you know, basically five interceptions a season. I mean, imagine guys averaging that now. Now it's, you know, guys are getting max contracts, these huge contracts for getting four or five interceptions in one season. And this is a guy that did it for for over a decade. So I think a, a very underrated player and a a, a well a well deserving uh, induction. Yeah, it's about time. I mean, it, it's it's sad to see a lot of these guys that you would have thought that they were already in. You know, if you would have asked me if Johnny Robinson was in the Hall of Fame, I probably would have told you he was. I had no idea he wasn't until he got elected in. So uh, it's sad to see. Um, I'm excited to see what other pass. I, I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not. I heard that they were going to start doing um, at least one old, uh, older player, one media contributor, and one executive every year. So instead of, I know that they kind of mix it up and they might do two owners or two older players. I think they're going to start doing it that way. So I, hopefully you'll see more of these guys that have been overlooked in the past years get in. So I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, and, and I, I think that's a great thing. I think uh, the contributor, the contributors and the media guys, I don't think that uh, they get the credit that they deserve. I mean, you I mean, we grew up with with uh, with guys like, uh, you know, Chris Mortensen and all those guys reporting, you know, and and I mean, seeing those guys in the Hall of Fame is, is great because they, you know, they kind of shape your football knowledge as you're a kid. Um, so they have just as much to do with with what we know about football now um as as anyone as any coach or player or or anything like that so um i think seeing the media guys in there is fantastic uh the contributors i mean you know yeah you're not the players but it it takes a lot of talent and a lot of skill to assemble uh a, a championship roster and to do it over an extended amount of time and to have success over that amount of time um, I, I, I think is overlooked. I think everyone now just sees, you know, you could have three good seasons, but as soon as you have that one bad season, you know, they want you gone cause they think you lost it. So, uh, to see some of these guys like a Gil Brandt who had, you know, three, you know, essentially three decades of success, uh, I mean, finally getting in, I, I think it really shows their, their talent and, 
and uh, what they contributed to the game. Yeah, and one of the other things that excites me about hearing about the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement coming up is that also means that football is officially back this Thursday, Broncos versus Falcons at the Hall of Fame game. Well, what are you excited to see about in that game? I'm, I'm really excited to see Denver's quarterbacks play, uh, see what Drew Locke's got. Uh, anything else you're looking at? Um, I mean, from from what I'm hearing reports-wise, uh, a lot of the Broncos are, uh, starters won't be playing in the game, but I am excited to see Drew Locke. Uh, I know uh, I know their coach was saying he's not an NFL quarterback yet. He's you know a lot of what he learned at Missouri is not carrying over to the NFL. Um, so it seems like he's you know definitely a project quarterback, a definite you know he needs to sit and and uh, watch for at least the first year, I believe, but, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. I mean, he's, he's a little more mobile than people give him credit for. Um, I think he can slide around in the pocket a little bit better than what people think. Uh, he's got a, he's got a great arm. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do just to see where he is in terms of the NFL game. But yeah, I mean, other, other than that, I, I think that's really the big thing to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly just most excited to watch it cause it's football and we haven't had it in a while. So, um, but in terms of players to watch, Drew Locke's really the only one I got on the list. But uh, I think it'll still be a fun game to watch if you like seeing those those uh, second through fifth string guys. And, you know, the guys trying to make a team, uh, the guys trying to make a roster or even audition for another team. Um, to me, that's that's always fascinating to watch. I love watching that kind of stuff because um, it's it's the only time you're going to see a lot of these guys play this year. Yeah, to me. A lot of people don't like the preseason because it's not exciting. But to me, this is where the suspense builds. I know two years ago, watching Pat Mahomes in the preseason tearing it up, it made me super excited. I had no idea that fast forward a couple years after Alex Smith and after the MVP season he put up last year, I didn't know it would go that far, but it got me excited about it. Um, And I think that's something that fans of both teams in this game and and every game in the preseason are going to get to see. Um, I know that there, there's talk about reducing the preseason games to two, but I personally like it because it gives these young guys a chance to go out. And and really, there's not a, a big chance for them to go out under the lights in a big game environment and showcase it except for these four preseason games. So I'm really excited to see the backups of every team play. Um, maybe the next superstar is in, in waiting and we're going to see him play. I think uh, if they reduce it to two games, I, I get it. I'm fine with that. It's all about player safety. I understand that. But, uh, I mean, I, I maybe reduce it to two games, but uh, have like a, a special third game for every team or maybe reduce it to three games, but the third game is is for reserves only or, so, you know, something along those lines. That way, that way some of these guys can be put into a game situation that uh, – you know, potentially could could change their career, could save their career in some instances, or make their career in a, in, in another. So, uh, I mean, I, I think it's important to give these young guys and these these borderline guys uh, the opportunity to prove themselves um, somewhere other than the practice field. So, and if you reduce it to two games, I, I think that uh, obviously that takes away a lot of the a lot of that opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Either way, football's less than a week away, and I'm pretty excited about it. All right, that's all the player news and updates we've got so far. Mike, what's on store for next week? The next episode of Gridiron Authority Podcast, it's an episode I've been dying to do. We are going to be discussing uh, the new Madden game, Madden 20. 
and uh, we'll be going into some uh, some in-depth details about it. We'll be giving you our opinions on it, what's good about it, what's bad about it, have they made anything better about it, uh, some of the player rankings we'll be discussing, uh, see if we deserve, you know, talk about if they deserve to be ranked there, a little too high, a little too low. Uh, a lot of great information. If you're a Madden player, make sure you come in, you check it out, uh, see what we think about it. The best part's going to be that one of us will have bragging rights for the next episode. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm.